Welcome to another episode of Big Risk Energy. I'm your host, Roy Samuel. I'm a serial entrepreneur, having founded multiple businesses, including one that I scaled and sold to a gaming company in 2018. I'm a serial investor, I've been investing in startups and other asset classes for the last five years. And I'm also super passionate about mental health and neurodiversity, suffering with ADHD and dyslexia. On this podcast, we talk to an amazing range of people, from athletes to academics, investors to entrepreneurs, musicians, politicians, scientists, and everyone in between. And we talk to these people about risk. Risks they've taken in their lives, risks they've taken in their careers, when those paid off, and when they didn't. And on today's episode, I'm blessed to be joined by the one and only Vincent Boone. Vincent is one of the world's leading community builders, having been instrumental in the building of the PlayStation Network, the communities behind GifGaf, Airbnb, and also on a personal level, one of my favorites, what is now Football Manager as well. Vincent, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, go for it. Yeah, so I, I found out very recently, and I find this uh, fascinating because obviously this podcast is all about risk. Yeah. Uh, you actually built your first community incredibly organically based off your love of poker. Tell us, tell us about that. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, the, that first risk was actually moving over here to England because okay. I'm actually Dutch. And, um, you know, I kind of like just finished uh, doing all of my uni work and wanted to get into computer games. And, you know, back in the day in the Netherlands, there are kind of like, you know, two kind of companies that did um, uh, computer games, Guerrilla Games being uh, one of them, and Spill Games, which was another one, which is kind of like doing internet games. And I knew the people that were working there. So I was thinking, well, you know, the likelihood of me getting a job, you know, here in the Netherlands in computer games is probably quite low. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, we're talking early uh, 2000s. And, you know, back then there were quite a few, you know, computer games companies in, in England already. Um, so I thought I'd move over to England and see if I could find a job here. Um, so literally, yeah, got my degree. And two months later, I was here in England uh, trying to find a job. And, Something uh, a lot of people can relate to right now. <laughs> right? Um, and yeah, it was actually quite difficult because traveling in England is pretty expensive. And, you know, being, you know, just fin finishing uh, the studies, I didn't have a lot of cash. And just taking a ticket to, uh, you know, I don't know, Liverpool or whatever was like 150 quid or something like that. And kind of ran out of money uh, relatively quickly. But I was living in London. And in the Netherlands, I had a group of people that I regularly play poker with. And I thought, well, you know, can I get, you know, find new people here to make friends with and all of that. So I thought, let's, you know, see if I can find some people to play poker with. And uh, platforms still exist, but yeah, back in the day, uh, it was meetup.com uh, that I used mm -hmm. to kind of like, you know, set up this kind of like London poker meetup club. Um, and it was just literally four of us sitting in a pub playing a few hands of poker. And this was, you know, the poker craze came way after that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and, and poker back then as well had an, a funny little status in England as well, where, it, you know, they were still debating in courts whether it was legal, whether it was oh, basically really? a game of skill versus, you know, betting, gambling. right? Yeah, gambling. Um, so, you know, yeah, it was kind of like a gray area. And, you know, that group of four slowly started growing out and, and, you know, more and more people became interested. 
And we really kind of went from pub to pub because as more people joined us, we had more and more tables that we would take over in these pubs and the landlords were getting quite scared, going like, holy shit, there's loads of people here <laughs> basically gambling, playing poker. Yeah. And, Not um, a good look for them. That wasn't time, the, no, yeah, they yeah. were getting quite scared. Maybe police is going to come yeah. and raid them, <laughs> that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, it, it got really big. And um, eventually we had something like 150,000 people, 200,000 people. It's incredible. Yeah. I, I love how you, I think that's uh, um, you know, an interesting nod to the size of the communities you're used to building. Cause now it's like, well, it was like 150, 200,000 people. It's a really sizable community. Oh, yeah. it's, it's a yeah, lot of yeah. people. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and yeah, and, and that was just, you know, lots of fun. It was really to teach people to play poker. So it wasn't like, you know, we were playing for loads of money. It was, you know, you kind of come in, you play for five pounds, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And we were teaching people all the different types of poker that you could play. And um, yeah, that just grew out, you know, really nicely and had lots of fun doing it. And on a personal level, your relationship with, with poker, because now from my understanding, poker is mathematics, it's game theory, and it's, it's very much a, you know, there are astrophysicists who now are big poker players, yeah. but at that time, I don't think the, the sport, the, the hobby had matured in that way. Mm. So was your, were you a risky poker player? Were you quite risk averse? How, how do you, you know, uh, assess your own game? <laughs> well, considering I'm not that great at math, I guess it's more, you know, the risky kind of poker yeah. player, but it's, it's very much around reading people, mm. right? And, you know, I certainly, you know, read a few books about it and that kind of stuff. And, but even back then, the books, although mathematics came into it, you know, there was a lot around, yeah, kind of like really understanding people and understanding when to make moves and those kind of things. Mm. Um, so it was very much around that. And that's the kind of poker player I am. You know, I can calculate some odds, of course, but yeah, I'm not, you know, someone who just instantly knows, you know, like the exact odds of, you know, what are your, your outs kind of thing that you've got, you know, when you, when the next card comes up, it's like, all right, I know I now have, you know, X amount of outs. Uh, in order to be actually be, be able to make my hand mm. and that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Which is interesting because I think um, it starts so intuitively right and then the, mm. or, or, well I suppose there's two ways of coming at it but that's a, a really interesting way of looking at it and how did you get then from realizing you could build an amazing community around poker to building what is now still one of the most vibrant communities online and this is as communities have come and go what we now know as, as football manager is, you know, it's it's amazing what you did there, and it's it's so it's so funny as well to talk about small world. The um, the last business that I built was acquired by a gaming company called Gfinity. Uh, one of the largest shareholders of that company is one of the founders of IDOS as well. So you know, it's a, it's a really small world out there. But yeah, tell us how how did you get into you know taking what was a really organic interest and making that you know an incredible career for yourself. So yeah, like as a, as you know, like that was I was doing kind of like the poker community, and I was doing a few other kind of like smaller communities for games that I enjoyed playing, while I was actually working for Idos. Right. And so you know, Idos, yeah, make a whole range of games. You know, Tomb Raider, Hitman, Commandos, and back then what it was called Championship Manager. Um, and yeah, I was kind of like, you know, leading one of the, uh, the, the new versions of Championship Manager and, and testing that. Um, and this was a, a, a version of Championship Manager which was going to be online, right? So normally it was all discs mm -hmm. right? back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but this was going to be an online version of that same game. And so you could actually play it through, you know, a browser. 
Um, and you know, as I was kind of like, yeah, working out, um, you know, on that on that game and, and testing it, not being a massive football fan myself, um, but being very close to the producer, mm-hmm. uh, who I'm still friends with now, um, Jim McDonough, and yeah, we kind of like got along. And I was telling him that I was doing all of these communities, um, and I was saying like, look, can we not? do something like that for this game that I'm testing, mm. right? I, like we sometimes actually had, you know, massive fans of the game standing outside the office waiting for, you know, <laughs> us to come in, right, to berate us. Really? Right? Yes, because we were the testers, right? And, and there would be bugs in the game that would, you know, piss them off to such a degree, wow. right, that they would stand there and, and, and basically rant at us and, and tell us how shit we were at our jobs. Thank God Twitter saved them so much time. Now, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? They don't actually have to, you know, stand outside Can't the office out, anymore, yeah. right? <laughs> but, but yeah, and, and so, but it showed the passion, Yeah. right? And I thought, and this is, you know, this was something that I just had never done before. And, you know, now kind of these things are, are, you know, much more common, of course. But back then, no one was doing this kind of stuff. And so I was kind of saying, like, look, we must have some sort of mailing list of people who are playing championship mm-hmm. manager, right? And so we kind of worked together with the marketing department to find the email addresses of, you know, these mm-hmm. people that had bought this game that we knew, in, you know, kind of like enjoyed the game. And I invited first kind of like a couple of hundred people to come in and help me test the game. Mm-hmm. And I literally just, you know, built a website that, you know, directly matched my bug database. So anything, you know, was literally drop down menus and, and free text that you could write in. And anything, and if you would then submit it, it would actually show up in my kind of like bug database. Nice. Right. So I was literally directly mapped. And, and so I just asked these people to go and play the game. And, you know, submit your bugs exactly as I would, right, as a tester. Mm. And I would teach them, you know, reproduction steps, you know, classification of bugs, all of these kind of things. And, yeah, these first couple of hundred were really good at it. So I was asking, well, can we get a few more mm. and, and, and so on. And, and that eventually became a group of about 20,000 people, you know, genuinely testing this game. Incredible. Yeah. And not only were they testing the game, because obviously it's a football kind of, you know, uh, yeah, themed, they started creating their own leagues and ladders. Yeah. Right? Which wasn't part of the game at all. I mean, you've played it and, you know, it was just I, kind I of I played like, it, I lost two years of my life to it. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Right? But it was quite, you know, kind of like static in terms of what yeah. you could do. And so these people had to create their own leagues and ladders, right? In order to basically be able to play against each other. Yeah. Right? Um, and they started creating kind of like newspapers. Right, so they did these kind of like weekly roundups mm. of all of these matches that were being played. Amazing. Right, and I was thinking, nah, this is really fun. Can we not put that in the game? Mm. And so we started working with the producer and with the developers, and yeah, all of their ideas were actually pushed into the game. And that kind of collaboration of working with, you know, yeah, what essentially would be would be customers, uh, and and gathering their ideas and their energy. And putting that, you know, into you know, yeah, physical representation mm. of that energy within the game again. I thought, this is amazing, right? This is so much fun. And I was doing, you know, as you know, communities myself anyway. And I thought, 
this could be a job. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and and there wasn't really community management. Wasn't like a big thing. Of course, I probably, there probably was no name for community no, management in right. that sense. Well, yeah. Interestingly enough, and here's another kind of like risk I took because I was living in Surrey at the time. Oh right. Okay. And I then found uh, a job in Liverpool, right, for Sony Computer Entertainment, because Sony had their Liverpool studios where they made Wipeout, right, right? Yeah, yeah. Formula One, yeah, nice, you know, all of those cool games. Yeah. Uh, they made that in Liverpool. I had no idea. And this was, you know, back in the days of PlayStation Two, right, the heady days of, of PlayStation. Um, and they thought uh, we should probably set up some kind of community for our, you know, our customers. Which is why they were looking, you know, to find people, you know, who were interested in, mm -hmm. in actually helping them do that. And obviously, I was yeah. working doing that at at Eidos, and I thought, ah, this is amazing. Huge I'd love to work for yeah. Sony, right? So yeah, so I did, and I moved um, to Liverpool. So you know, my which is even traveling to Liverpool is a risk. Oh, let alone moving absolutely. to Liverpool. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. This, yeah. Literally, the first day I arrived there, my car got broken into, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> everything got stolen. Uh, yeah, so. And I lived there, you know, just yeah, in a house with some other people while I actually, my, my, the house that I actually had bought mm -hmm. in, in Surrey was still there with my then wife, <laughs> who was pregnant. Right. But I, yeah, it's like, I don't have a choice, right? Yeah. Like, this is my opportunity. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, moved out on my own to Liverpool to work in the, in the Sony studio. So, because I, I, I wanted to jump into that, because obviously the PlayStation Network, this is now when we're moving away from, you know, Football Manager, which is not niche, you know, a lot of people know it, but this mm. is now one of the most recognized communities in the world. But yeah. what I want to just go back to is, when you were building the community for Championship Manager at that time, how much did you think, well, you know what, this is a community based on, is it passion? Is it love of the project? Is it love of the subject? You know, did you, at that stage, identify methods of building community, methods of bringing people together this way? Or did you think, you know what, this could work for, you know, I'm, I'm probably jumping ahead here, this can work for sport because there's passion, but then, mm. you know, when you, go forward a few years to gift gaff, I'm not thinking, oh, people are so passionate about that. So it's, it's did, yeah. you, did you think there were, there were certain levers required at that time to build a meaningful community? Yeah, absolutely. Like, so, you know, computer games, mm. right? Inherently, there is passion in that, yeah. right? And, and people, you know, it's a very enjoyable thing to do. So my, my change from the computer games industry to go, into telco, yeah, right. That was a huge leap of faith, yeah, right. I was uh, that was quite scary to do yeah. because, you know, here I was working for Sony Computer Entertainment, right, my dream job, right. However, while working for Sony, I was really struggling, kind of like, you know, getting my ideas, you know, to put into a reality from like a bureaucratic, yes, right, exactly, okay. right. Because you know, community wasn't you know top of mind, right. And again, you know, well, we went to PlayStation 3, obviously, and 4 and mm -hmm, 5. But mm -hmm. yeah, back in the days of PlayStation 2, yeah, it's still quite, you know, early on. Yeah, of course. Right? And of course. there were very few games that you could actually play online. Yes. In fact, most people didn't even know that a PlayStation 2 could go online. I, in fact, I just discovered that right now. Right? Yeah. So you could actually buy a little piece of kit that you stuck on the back of your and PlayStation, and, and that's how you could actually play games online. Okay. So the, 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 the you know, group of people that were actually playing online wasn't actually that big. Right. 
Um, but things like Killzone, like yeah. the very first ones, SOCOM, which was another kind of like shooter, but also Formula One, Jack and Dexter, and there was a you know like a fair yeah. few games that you could actually play online. Okay, right? Some rally games, Colin McRae, and all of that. Yeah, nice. So. You know, so that was quite good fun to kind of like figure that out. Then the PlayStation 3 came along, right? That actually had, you know, now we actually had functionality that we were obviously had been requesting mm -hmm. to, to be able to play more games online and, and, and make it more of a kind of, yeah, a real online console. And yeah. more and more games started to come out that were actually focused on, oh, how do we create multiplayer games? Mm -hmm. um, even PlayStation Home. That was the, the very first idea of a virtual um, place that mm. people could gather, right? So this had shops in it and everything, right? So, so these were really kind of like the very, yeah, yeah, these were very first kind of like, you know, foray into. So when was that? When was PlayStation? I mean, how, how long ago um, did it? 2004. Wow, so it's so ahead of its time. Yeah, 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 for sure, yeah. And then, I think 2005 or six, the PlayStation 3 came out. Right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and so yeah, we had these kind of things. But because it was still early on, right, doing kind of more innovative things, and in fact, doing that whole thing of what we did with Championship Manager, mm -hmm. where we got a lot of their ideas and were able to translate that into changes to a game and, you know, doing all of those types of things, was difficult itself. Mm. Right, so I got quite frustrated with that because I wanted to do more. I saw, you know, kind of like the passion and the interest that people had. Of course, there were some things that we did a little bit planet, and you know, like that there were kind of some cool things that we were able to do with the community. Mm -hmm. And eventually, we actually created a full game yeah. with the community. They came up with, I don't know, the characters, yeah. what they could do, you know, the guns, you name it, and and the community actually drew all of this stuff wow. out as well. Yeah, yeah. And we had a studio actually build that whole game and launch it, and that was really cool. Still stuff. now, people talk about it as you know one of the most sort of nostalgic yeah. games, and people still have such a love for that 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 product. Exactly, and so yeah, so it was really out of frustration that I started looking around, and yeah, here comes Telefonica, right? This big global kind of like you know telco. Surely company. you've got a healthy <laughs> sense of skepticism. Massive because when... it, like. Like phones weren't even a thing. Yeah. Right. I, I had a phone where you had to pull the antenna out yeah. when I started at GifGaf. Right. So you know they gave me a BlackBerry. Right. And I was like, oh my god, this is like a proper phone. <laughs> so when, when was this? Just uh, to bring some context. 2009, into... 2010. Okay, fine. Right. Fine. So the very first iPhone had just come out. Right. Right. That was kind of like yeah. you know the thing. Yeah. And so the idea of building a community around mobile phones is you know, a totally alien concept. Absolutely, stage, yeah. absolutely. And so my worry was very much like, can I you know, actually galvanize people around the concept of mobile, right? Is that possible? And their main kind of like challenge was very much around customer service. Okay. Because customer service in telcos is something like 40% of the cost. Really? Right, yeah, it's a huge proportion of the cost of running a telco. Yes. The, to be honest, the amount of chaos I've caused to my different providers through right. customer service, I can, I can see why there'd be a lot of cost there, yeah. Yeah, and so, and I was actually doing that particular bit at Sony. 
right? So I was, I was, you know, working with the community because people obviously came in a lot and had problems with their PlayStations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And who had the answers? Well, the community, yeah. right? So rather than actually, you know, sending them to customer service, we were actually sorting out all of these problems within our own community. So I thought with, with GiftCaf, I thought, well, I think that part might be possible, mm. right? The, the customer service side of things, you know, I think is likely, but that wasn't necessarily the biggest interest for me. Mm. So for me, it was very much, can we actually get these customers to be part of what we're building here as a company? Now, don't forget uh, GiftCaf, there were, you know, 10 of us to start with, right? And eventually the team grew out to 20 people. But, you know, for the first sort of like, you know, two, two years, right? It was literally 20 of us. And, and what was the up. size of the business? Because this was at that point already huge, right? That, well, to start off with, we had no one, right? The first year, the plug was pulled, you know, pretty much every month we were at, at right. you know, in danger of the, that plug being pulled. Right, okay. Right? Because, you know, we weren't really growing because we weren't allowed to do any traditional advertising. Fine. So you, so in terms of um, market penetration, GiftGap's still well, tiny. It's tiny. Right, okay. Really tiny. Yeah, yeah. We didn't sell any phones. We didn't do any. All we had was a SIM card, right? And that SIM card, um, you know, it was kind of like prepay. Yeah. Right? So we knew that one customer service was an issue. Um, two, people didn't want to be stuck in contracts, mm -hmm. right? Because that was a real issue as well. Mm -hmm. And the whole service was just really confusing, right? The bills that you got and all of that. People didn't really know what they were paying for. Yeah. So when we started, it was as simple as, you know, eight pence for a call, you know, four P for a text, and we couldn't even charge for data yet, mm -hmm. right? Because that hadn't even been built yet, Yeah. right? And... And so, yeah, really, one of the first questions we even asked of that community was, what should we charge for data, right? And, and data was quite a big thing then as well. Of course. And, yeah, that, that initial kind of community yeah, was, you know, as always, relatively slow and growing, right? These things take about a year, right, to actually start gaining any kind of like organic volume. That means that there are conversations happening organically, mm. right? And... Yeah, that just meant that, yeah, for GiftCaf, um, the growth was in the single digits, right, on a, on a daily basis, right, in terms of new signups. And this was an MVNO, right, yeah. a mobile virtual network operator, which meant it was a software layer over the hardware, right, all the physical mm -hmm. masks that O2, the network, mm -hmm. right, had. And we were supposed to kind of like figure that out, right? And so That's it was- Not an easy challenge. No. <laughs> and it was obviously very costly as well to yeah. set this whole thing up. But we were bearing that cost. We were supposed to <laughs> find a way to basically pay all of that investment off. And yeah, with not those numbers not growing quickly enough, it, it started getting quite hairy. Mm. Um, we did some, um, you know, Terrible marketing tactics in terms of like, you know, in sort of like, you know, buy two for the price of one in that right, sense, right? Yeah, yeah, Half yeah. price kind of thing. I remember uh, our, the our, used car tactic going exactly, on. Exactly, yeah. right? And it's that, you know, our, our marketing team was, was, you know, yeah, found it really terrible to have to do these things because that's not good marketing. <laughs> um, but, you know, like that did kind of like bring it to the attention of a few more people. Yeah, of course. Uh, money saving experts. Mm hmm picked up on, mm -hmm. on, you know, what we were doing and, you know, how relatively cheap we were in comparison to others. So that brought a whole bunch of people in. But a lot of these people 
had, you know, this was you know normal traditional market, right? Yeah. You phone someone up when you've got a problem. Gifgaf didn't have that, right? So similarly to us not having any kind of like traditional marketing, mm -hmm. we weren't allowed to advertise on TV, radio, you know, I don't know, only online. That was that was literally our world. We were supposed to do a web 2.0, right? <laughs> Company where all of that stuff is is purely done online. So yeah, again, penetration in the market was yeah. very small. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so with that kind of like money saving expert, kind of those people kind of like coming in, they were thinking, oh, where's where's the number? Yeah. Right? Is this a scam? You know, all of that kind of stuff. Because all of our customer service was kind of done, you know, on the community. The community was supposed to kind of like look after those yeah. kind of things, right? And I mean, even on the day of launch, right? We had. Uh, someone, you know, we had teased that community a little bit and there were a few initial members mm -hmm. kind of like looking in. They were just fans of mobile networks mm -hmm. and, you know, that whole idea. And uh, we, we released, right, our, our terms and conditions, right? And so, you know, this person comes in and, and um, you know, on the day of launch is saying, oh, I'm going to read all the terms and conditions, right? And by tomorrow morning, if anyone has a question, I will be able to answer it. Nice. Okay. And he literally spent the whole night reading wow. all and, and you know, going through all of our terms and conditions just so he was prepared for this massive influx wow. of people which never arrived. Yeah, but it was that yeah. idea of like, all right, you know, we already had someone. But it's amazing that you had those, you know, dedicated mm. fans, people yeah. who wanted to help. But it, and it's also, it's fascinating just to, you know, even go back to where you start with this. It seems like education and community are so intertwined. Yeah, absolutely. And is that something that you see because of just that innate desire in people to learn and to educate? Or, yeah. or where, you know, what, what's the psychology behind that person who wants to stay up all night? I'm assuming yeah. you're not paying that person. No. Right. That person who wants to stay up all night, read the T's and C's. Mm. I mean, it sounds tedious as anything. Yeah. You know, what, what's the psychology behind this? Why do people want to help communities in this way? Um, well, it's, it's usually a passion thing, right? And it, it's something that they are interested in. And I found that through building communities that the more you let them in, right, the more influence they have on the product and the service, mm. right? And the, the closer they are to the team that's actually building it, uh, the more they are interested in, in putting time in as well, because you're putting time into them, mm. right? You're, you're listening to you know, their concerns or their ideas. And, you know, you change or you're adapting what you're doing mm. through the feedback that you're getting. And I think that that's a real stimulant, right? That idea of like, I, as a community member, have a genuine effect, mm -hmm. right? To, you know, what this team is doing. And not only that, I know the team, mm. right? These are not just some, you know, kind of like, yeah, this is not O2 where I don't actually know the names of the people yeah. that work there, right? Like I said, this was a team of like 10, 20 people. Yeah. So they knew everyone yeah, in the team, cool. right? And so, you know, when things would inevitably break or, you know, we would make mistakes, we were there talking yeah. to them and saying like, oh, you know, this has happened, right? It's fascinating. I, mm. I really think that, um, you know, as time's gone on, people are so motivated by having an impact. People are so motivated by having an identity yeah. as well. Yeah. And for a lot of people who don't necessarily have that in their work, and I think that's why we're seeing a big trend in, in the rise of entrepreneurialism, the rise mm. of people wanting to create their own things, because I think for so long, 
people were lacking that ability to have that impact, to have that identity and communities if they're structured in a way where you really allow people to have influence and see the fruits of their labor can give them identity in a way which really allows you to harness that that passion and that energy. And it's, um, it's really, really fascinating because I think you know, you've been at the, the forefront of innovation for so long, mm. um, you know, in terms of, you know, gaming communities, online gaming, mobile networks, things which genuinely have revolutionized the way that we connect and the way that, we, the way that we're entertained. It almost feels like coming to this era of the metaverse, of DAOs, it almost feels yeah. like everything that you've been doing is almost like building up to the way that technology is shaping up to right now. Yeah. So are you excited by where technology is going? And I know there's still, I want to get into Airbnb, but just, yeah. you know, my, my curiosity is taking me here. It, it really feels like it's a natural progression now to the, the new stacks of technology that are being built at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, hugely exciting time. Um, you know, with, as with any technology, when, when it starts, right, it's messy. Right, people are are figuring it out, and right? and so yeah, we've seen some kind of like you know more crypto, DeFi mm -hmm. kind of like things, um, you know having having you know yeah kind of like grown and you know they they yeah explode and then and break again and you know all of that kind of stuff. But you know yeah the whole idea of Web three blockchain, you know like I said DeFi, GameFi, mm. right, all of that kind of stuff. These are all just really new technologies that you know the people that have you know kind of like figured them out mm. it, it's not even so widespread yet that you've got people who are serious game developers yeah. that are that are actually making games mm. right and how long does it take them to make a game right any kind of good game will probably take you you know a couple years, of years yeah, to build yeah. at least right um so to get the real, you know, people who are who are building this and, and you know that already have a certain amount of years yeah. and understanding of, of what makes people tick, yeah. right, into this industry, right, is going to take a while, mm. right. So you know we now have just people who understand the technology really well, right, but that technology now needs to be used mm -hmm. by people who understand people mm. very well, right, and and how do you build things that people actually enjoy. Right, participating in yeah. and those kind of things. So it's not just you know a money thing. Right? Yeah. There's like you know NFTs and everyone's like, oh, it's just a picture. And why am I doing this? <sighs> and and again, it's not it's not necessarily that that picture or whatever it is, right? It's it's the technology behind mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. What does it allow you to do? And how do you apply that mm. to things that we're already enjoying? Yeah. Right. Because it sounds like it's the you know the concept you're talking about with community, the concept, and and I think. Championship manageable is so fascinating because mm. you have something which, you know, built into something which the community was so powerful that, you know, still to this day, I know lower league clubs use the, the scouting community yeah. from football manager to yeah, give yeah. insights into actually what's going on in the professional game. Mm. And, you know, the, the power of community in that way is so, um, you know, it's going to lend itself so well to these new technologies that when it finally does click, I think it's going to be so incredibly powerful and so incredibly immersive. But a lot of people are, are skeptical. A lot of people yeah. are uh, probably rightfully so. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But, but when, do, when do you think, what do you think the, the use case is that breaks that barrier for most people being able to say, right, now I'm ready to engage with this technology? Yeah. 
I don't, don't think it's one use case, right? I think it's many smaller use cases that eventually, basically it's, a, it's an operating system, right? That's what all of this new technology is. So it's not so much sort of, of that one idea. It's like, you know, well, what do you use? Do you use Unity, right? Um, I don't know, from, from anything that is an actual operating system where you just, and, and that's what you use to build services on, mm. right? And I think that's what needs to come together, yeah. right? There are, now we're just kind of like finding out singular use cases, but I think we need to look beyond use case and simply think as a company, Right? There's now a technology stack mm -hmm. that I can use. Mm -hmm. right? Not to say that you use all elements of that, right? but there are certain elements that probably will be applicable to what your company and what your product and service already is. Right? And so I think eventually the, the, the technology is so prevalent that it's one of those things that, yeah, it's just part of your thinking. Right? All of this, this, the way all of this technology works, you're just going to look at, all right, well, this is my product or service. How does yeah. this kind of like, you know, become part of that? So I think it's inevitable there's going to be a, a decoupling of the Web3 space, right? Because when we talk about DeFi, you, can't, you, you really can't get further away than, you know, some UK use cases of augmented reality, right? Uh, uh, you know, an infrastructure allowing uh, enterprises and, and institutions to, you know, do collateralized lending versus, you know, fun AR content are so on two different ends of, of the spectrum of Web3. So it. maybe that decoupling and uh, rather than looking at it as uh, this, you know, uniform, idealistic, utopian view on, on what technology might be is, is going to be really, really key to making it more accessible. And I think a lot of the times you won't even notice that the technology, that that's the technology you're using, right? I think that's the, the big difference. Right? So when I'm thinking operating system, it's like you don't think about the operating mm -hmm. system. You're just using the technology without even you know, realizing it. And that's you know, with the whole tokenomics yeah. and all of that kind of stuff. You know, there's loads of you know, places where this is applic applicable mm -hmm. already. Right? If you think back about something like a World of Warcraft, although it's still going, but you know, any of these kind of like massive role-playing games, right? most of them already have economies, mm. right? Um, you have auction houses where you're trading things like, I don't know, armor and, mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah, all of these yeah. kind of things, right? A sword or whatever it is. Well, if you didn't apply the technology and all of a sudden that you know, piece of armor that you normally you know, yeah, pay some gold for, now the, the gold is actual tokens and mm -hmm. the piece of armor is something that is unique and you actually own it and you can actually sell it and all of those kind of things, then you don't, even, you, know, you don't even realize that you're using all of this technology, right, while you're playing, in this case, a game. But this could be extended to so many other things, right? Music is a great one as well, yeah. right? Um, you know, I've been, yeah, talking to a variety of people who are doing some really cool stuff in this space as well, including around music, where, again, yeah, communities can come together to create amazing music together mm. right and so you'll have you know proper artists that will create you know a variety of different tracks mm -hmm. that they allow their their community to play around with super right and and so you get these unique songs right that are created by a community 
um, that are now uh, you know able to be owned, yeah. right? And that IP yeah. is something that the user that has created is actually theirs, and yeah. they can monetize that, right? So I think it gives a lot more you know, kind of like power to the community. That whole idea of being community-led, mm. right? Which is what we kind of like started with GifGaf, where we're saying, look, there's a community here. We want that community to be genuinely involved with the business, right? And yes, we had, you know, it's kind of like a payback system, so people can earn, right? But it was always a token of appreciation mm. rather than, you know, yeah, uh, you know, actual loads and loads of money. Although, to be fair, some people actually did earn, you know, yeah, tens of thousands of sure. pounds yeah. through signing people up and all of that kind of good stuff. But now, with the new technology that there is, you can actually, you know, make these systems, you know, much more usable, mm -hmm. right? And, yeah. and that's where DAOs come in as well. I yeah. think DAOs are the next step in the evolution of community-led, mm -hmm. because now you can actually say, all right, well, here's a particular task that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. Who wants to do it? Mm -hmm. And once it's completed, well, there is an actual kind of like, you know, monetary reward yeah. as part of this task, yeah. and it's all a genuine system. Right, and it's the stuff that I've been thinking about for a very long time, which I call industrializing community. Right, mm. and and now you're really looking at yeah, actually creating systems that people can sign themselves up to, you know, earn genuine rewards, yeah. and they can choose what they want to do with that reward, yeah. rather than give them some I don't know phone credit or whatever it is. Right, this is actual stuff that they real money. And so what that allows is that you can have companies with much smaller teams that actually say like, right, well, this is you know, a whole lot of work that, that, that we need to have done. Are there people out there that have an interest in doing this kind of stuff, right? And so you can now basically, in a way, create a massive team of freelancers. Mm. Um, and, and it allows people also to be able to choose who they work for. They don't necessarily have to work for one person anymore. Their yeah. qualities and their skills, they can go to a job board in a way and, and look at you know, all of the jobs that, that match their skills and, and, and their interests mm -hmm. and say, ah, this is a particular project that I wanna work on. They either do it themselves or they find a few people that they do that with, they get paid for that and they move on to the next job. Right? Yeah. So it, it's a, it's a, it's a much freer way. Of, it's going to totally revolutionise the way that people look at employment, both as yes. employers and employees. Absolutely. But it goes to what we were saying before in terms of um, this, you know, missing group of people who seem to have exited the workforce. Mm. I think it's because we're still looking at the workforce in traditional ways, yes. and a lot of them are getting involved with online projects. And although the government can't get their head around where these people are going or why they're mm. not re-entering the jobs market, it's because they're actually probably quite digitally native and understand the opportunities that exist with these new technologies and online. Vincent, we could probably talk about this for another 10 hours, but I know we've got uh, a bit of press time, so I want to jump into a few questions that I ask every guest. So not quick fire, you know, we'd take about 10 minutes to go through these, but if you could identify the single biggest risk that you've ever taken, either in career, in life, whatever it was, and the outcome of that, what would it be? Um, possibly actually setting up Standing on Giants, right? So Standing on Giants came out of GifGaf. Mm -hmm. So I was still working at GifGaf, literally in the GifGaf offices. Um, and GifCast became such a success, right? And, and especially, you know, the part that I did around community yeah. and, and how do you build these things, that I asked Telefonica, who's, you know, the overarching company, like, 
can I not do what I did for GiveGav, right, for other companies? And, you know, we needed some investment for that to set up a company, and Telefonica said yes. So we, we created Standing on Giants within the tele Telefonica empire. Um, we were then going to go external, but mm -hmm. they pulled the plug on that and says, we've got first mover advantage. We want you to do it for our companies first. Right, okay. right? And so the next kind of like two and a half years I spent going around the house of Telefonica, mostly in South America, yep. setting up GiveGav clones and right. creating uh, communities for their incumbent companies, right? So Vivo in Brazil, mm -hmm. right? 120 million customers, you know, Movistar in Argentina, you got about 80 million customers. So the really big, yeah. you know, kind of like massive telcos that they had. And that again, kind of like, you know, became a bit of a success and that, that worked and, and turned out that the methodology I created on how you manage all of these communities worked no matter where we were, right? Which, you know, kind of like, uh, country or culture yeah. that we were working in, um, it, it kind of like, you know, worked. And I thought, this is really amazing, right? Um, and then we wanted to obviously go external because there's only so much you can do within a, kind of like an empire like that. And that obviously was a big risk, you know, actually taking Standing on the Giants completely out yeah. of, uh, of Telefonica. Especially with that success that you'd had yes. there. Yeah. And, we had a, and we had a team already. Right, so now all of a sudden we had to, you know, we were responsible for all of these people yeah. that were coming with us to our own little startup, right? So yeah, that kind of like responsibility and, and taking on all of those people and making sure that they still had work and, and got paid every, every month was, you know, yeah, a real big leap of faith. But yeah. thankfully that's worked out really well. And yeah, we were, you know, um, 2012, I think when we were started, mm -hmm. or yeah, I think 2012, maybe 2013 when we took on Airbnb. So their community from inception up until now. And what, what stage were Airbnb at that time? They had an initial kind of like little community platform that they'd built, but it wasn't working. Oh, right, okay. Um, so really early doors. Really, really yeah. early. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and so that's kind of why they, they kind of like came to us in terms of like, well, you guys seem to understand what you're doing there. And, and you know, well, yeah, what can we do as a company? And so, yeah, we actually, you know, sunset that the platform that they had built from scratch mm -hmm. and put in some, some new technology all around forms, but it was really around the methodology, of course, on how you build these communities. Yeah. And yes, you know, from then till now, we are working with Airbnb and yeah, we're a big part of what Airbnb is. So we've got people in various different countries working in the Airbnb offices, as well as a big team here in London that is managing all the kind of like community mm. projects within Airbnb, which is really fun. I mean, it's incredible. You know, it, when people think about Airbnb, they think about community and, and you know, the fact that you've been able to do this time and time again to develop a methodology for this is just insane. You know, it, it's just, it's, it actually is insane. You look at the businesses that you've worked with, the communities you've created and the track record there. I guess now the um, a big a big risk moving forward is you know, how do you keep on making sure that you knock this out of the park? But yeah. I guess at this stage, you're so confident in that methodology and, and you know, the mechanics are the same, but um, it's, that's, it's fascinating. And, and going from that safety of, of not having mouths to feed, as it were, but taking that, that risk, of, that leap of faith is, is, you know, really, really exciting. Um, a second question I've got for you is, and this, uh, this will be a really interesting one is, is there anything in your career that you'd have done differently? 
No, I don't think so. Like, you know, like I'm just, to say that. Yeah, no, I like, I, I, you know, yeah. it's just, for me, it's, I've just, it's been a fun ride, right? Like, I've, I've just really enjoyed myself. And yeah, I've taken the risks and I've, I've, you know, I've, yeah, kind of like jumped from opportunity to opportunity. Um, and yeah, I, you know, for me, I think I've just been really lucky in that mm. sense. Um, that you know, it's all kind of like just worked out, yeah. um, and and now I'm yeah, kind of like you know doing advisory work, you know, for yourself, for example. But yeah, like that that whole idea of of now you know the company mm-hmm. you know as as an entity is is yeah now at such a stage where it's quite mature, yeah, right. It's got an amazing team in place, right? Like so, it really you know in in that sense doesn't really need me. Right, the people that are there, and and a lot of them have been with me, Richie, from the start. Mm. Right, and we've got people that I was working with at Gifgaf wow. that are now still with me now. Yeah, right, and you're talking like you know twelve years. Yeah, right? and and yeah, obviously they're the ones who are who are now kind of like in the leadership positions. Mm-hmm. Right, they're the ones who are, who are so well versed in in what we're doing. They're the ones who can, you know, lead the teams, mm. work with the customers, you know, all of that kind of good stuff, and 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 do the innovation as well, right? Because it doesn't stop, right? Exactly what you're saying, right? We are continuously looking at and how we're interacting with people, new technologies that mm. come along, new platforms that come along, you know, and of course the wide variety of businesses that we work with, right? And that's also, you know, constantly changing. Right. So, you know, whether it's a charity or whether it's, you know, utility or I don't know, Lenovo Legion laptops yeah. is another one. And, yeah. you know, yeah, gaming it, It's literally it's so wide. Yeah. Right. From insurance companies and banks to you know gaming companies, you, all of those communities still need to be thought of. And, it, and it's very much around the product and service mm-hmm. of those companies mm-hmm. that you need to think of. Right. So how do you apply all of that knowledge? to that specific kind of like, you know, company. And I think that's what the company is being so good at. Mm. And so, yeah, that allows me to now kind of go and, and look at other ecosystems again, including yeah. Web3, where you're kind of looking at, all right, well, what more is out there, right? And it's that innovation of stuff that I'm always looking at, right? So, you know, what's the cutting edge yeah. of that kind of stuff? Very cool, very cool. So is there anything in your career that you could point to and say, that's the thing I'm most proud of? Gifgaf for sure. Yeah, you know, I think. How big did the Gifgaf community actually get to? Jeez, yeah, well, um, well over a million. Yeah, but, you know that's yeah similar to Airbnb yeah. as well. It's also well over a million. You know, so yeah, these things are, are they, they they do grow very very large. Yeah. But there's also a lot of you know attrition, of course, right? So you know burnout within community members and all of that kind of stuff. So. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the day, um, you know, yeah, I think, you know, GiveCaf is definitely a, a great example of a community that is very large and still very functional, um, including Airbnb is also a community that's very large, but there you're also looking at scale in terms of different languages. Yeah. Right? So, you know, similar mm, to what I did at PlayStation, you're really looking at like 10 different languages that we're covering there. Wow. Right. So, you know, they're, they're scaling in different ways. Um, but yeah, I think it, it was just with the GIFCAF thing, it was very groundbreaking, right? It was, it was, it was mm. such new ground that we were creating there with that whole community-led idea. 
I think that that's something that I'm quite proud of, where you kind of think like, yeah, we really set the tone there. Yeah. And, and it was, and it, and it still is, like kind of like the shining example of what is possible of when you really, you know, integrate a community of passionate customers with your actual team, with your product, with your service, and and what are the you know the multitude of things that they can get involved in. I think that that's really quite exciting, and still is. Yeah. Okay, so let me ask you. What does it take to be successful? What does it take to be successful? Being open to opportunities, I think, you know, um, and, and being excited by things. I think that that's really, you know, what's, what it's always been for me. I've always been just, you know, really kind of excited about, you know, things that are, are being asked of me and, 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 and figuring out like new, new solutions to these things. And, you know, yeah, I'm, I've, I've always been, uh, naturally just good at, at coming up with ideas mm. on how to solve you know problems and, and and really look at a business and say ah you know have you thought about it like mm -hmm. this right and and you know what else can we do and and being able to to work with people at all levels right from CEO you know uh, down to middle yeah. management down to people on the floor it's it's really looking at how do you combine all of these things Right? And, 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 you know, working with the people on the floor and, and un really understanding, you know, what they're doing, what their issues are, right, uh, to understanding, you know, strategy and, and, and much longer term thinking. Right? if you can combine those things, then add in the actual customers that you really listen to and talk to, right, because that's the other thing, right, it's not just listening, it's actually talking to yeah. them. Right? And, 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 and trying to kind of like translate their ideas to the company. I think that's really one of the key things that a good community manager does is you translate what the customers say to the company and you translate what the company says to the customer. Right? If, you, if, you, if you're good at that, right? because the, often the way companies talk doesn't resonate with the customer. They don't understand what you're actually meaning and they think it's all fluff and blah and you know, it's not real. Right. And so how do you make that real? And often the ideas and, and, and suggestions or feedback that the customer has within the company is sort of like, ah, oh, you know, it's, it's going to cost too much. It's, it's, you know, it's not, you know, relevant to our brand mm. and all of those things. It, it's about translating those, uh, you know, those ideas and that feedback to things that are relevant for mm. the company and, and making it so it actually fits with, with their thinking. I think if you're able to do those two things and you can connect that well, that's, that's when you, success. yeah, yeah love success. that, love yeah. that. Okay, now my last question for you is: Fifteen-year-old Vincent walks in the room right now. Yeah, what are you going to tell him? Um, don't worry so much. You know, it's it's okay. Like you know, like things will come on your path, and you know, just embrace them and just do them. I'm, you know, I'm a natural kind of like worrier about these things, and then yeah. And yeah, you know, can get frustrated as well with with you know things moving slowly, um, and I think you know yeah patience, um, and and yeah try not to worry too much, and these opportunities will come. Um, you just need to be aware of them and, and open and, and jump on them when they do arrive. You know, it's that kind of thing. It's it's not all laid out for you yet. I was I was always very much sort of like, ah, oh, that's that's going to be my life. I was going to work in computer <laughs> games, and you know, and I ended up not working. Out by fifteen, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I ended up not working in, in in the games industry at all. Really, yeah. I was always thought that I was going to make games. Yeah. 
and I never actually did that, right? And so, you know, and, and it's, I think it's that as well, where you're kind of like, you don't know what's out there yet, mm-hmm. right? Your, your understanding of the, the landscape yeah. and, and, the, and the, the, the sheer, you know, number of different elements and jobs that there are in any kind of company is just not open to you yet. You know, you're, you're thinking, you know, well, <laughs> to make it very simple, it's like, you know, fireman, policeman, you know, astronaut, you know, is that, is that very kind of like, you know, yeah, straight thinking where, of course. you know, once you're actually in that nitty gritty of a company where there's loads of things happening and loads of little things that need to be done, it's, it's looking at that while still keeping that eye on sort of like, all right, well, it's the long-term strategy. Mm. And that goes back to always looking for opportunities as well, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Amazing. Vincent, thank you so much for coming yeah. on. Thank you for having right. me.